Now, as you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the word, which today will be done by one of our middle school students, Lily Van Scooter. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message and the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles, a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you here today. Uh, where are my first through fifth graders? First through fifth graders in here? Yes, I see a few hands raising. A little more confidence than at 9 a.m. Standing up. Torrin, attaboy. Uh, where are my uh, middle school and high school students? Middle school and high school students? Okay, okay, several of you around in the room. And anyone in here over the age of 18? Over the age of 18? Okay. Uh, Students and kids, you got beat in the energy department by uh, the parents and the adults here. So take that however you want to. But we are glad that you all are here. It's so good just to be together as the church and just to be multi-generational in here together to worship and to praise and to hear from God's word together. Uh, has anyone in here ever seen the movie Lion King? Lion King, yes. Fans of Lion King, yeah. There is Lion King follows around Simba and, and his journey to the throne, really. Uh, but there's a moment in his young life where things did not look like they were going to go very well for him. And so there was a moment where he decided to listen to his uncle's advice, and he went into the Darklands, the, the elephant graveyard, and he was encountered by some hyenas. And the hyenas uh, trapped him in a corner, and, and you could see that they had ill intent for him. They had destruction in their minds and devastation for our friend Simba. And so Simba tries to defend himself as the only way that he can think by letting out a big lion roar. But when he tries this the very first time, it comes out a little bit more like a meow. <laughs> Not the most intimidating thing ever. And so the hyenas just laugh and they continue to get closer and closer. And Simba tries again to let out that big giant roar. And the second time, sure enough, there's this booming, loud, lion, powerful roar that just shakes the world and has everyone startled. Until you realize that the roar did not come from Simba. It came from his father, Mufasa. And Mufasa, of course, scares away the hyenas and clears the path, and Simba is saved. And there's this moment afterwards where you can see Simba following his dad, and he has his head down because he knows that what he was doing was leading towards destruction, and he needed his dad to save him. He didn't walk around and say, look at how great I am, dad. Did you see me scare those hyenas off? No, he knew it wasn't up to him. And I want to say this from the start this morning, that as Christians, we are a lot like Simba. 
When left to our own ways, we are headed down a path that leads to destruction, but God has a different plan for us. We look to our heavenly father, who is the protector, who is the savior. And so I wanna say this from the very start, that being a Christian, when we talk about what it means to be a Christian, there's a lot of things that might go through your mind. If I were to ask everyone in here, there would be different things that are said. It might be things like going to church. It might be things like reading your Bible. It might be being kind to people. It might be not doing certain things like not cussing, not lying, not stealing, or certain things like that. We all have an idea of what it means to be a Christian, and for many of us, that is connected to something that we do or don't do. But the reality is that being a follower of Christ is simply this. It is about receiving the gift of Jesus Christ. Being a Christian is not about what you do, it is about what has been done for you. Being a Christian is not about what we do or what we are capable of doing, it is about what has been done for us in receiving that gift. And so I wanna say this from the very start because I know I'm gonna lose our first graders in about 30 seconds. We are focused on the basic gospel message today, which says that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we are headed down a path that leads to destruction. And just like Simba, we need something or someone from outside of ourselves. And God in his great love sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life that we couldn't live on our own so that he could go to the cross and die a sinner's death so that he could bury our sin with him And when he rose again, he offered us an opportunity to receive life. And so being a Christian is simply about receiving the gift that God has given to us, receiving from his grace and his mercy and his love. It's not about what we do. It's about what has been done for us. And I say all this because as we continue in our series in the book of Acts, we're in Acts 15, where this very idea of what does it mean to be saved is being discussed and debated in the early church. Now, for our students in the room, middle school and high school students, you know that we have been going through the book of Acts, uh, because for those who, who, those of you who don't know, our students and us, we do the same message, um, and so we have the same basic ideas and concepts, so we're all walking through Acts together. Our fifth grade and below, they have something separate that they do. Uh, So just let me catch you up very quickly or just give you a brief overview. The book of Acts um, comes right after the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so the Gospels are the stories about Jesus. They tell us about his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then the book of Acts picks up right after Jesus um, has, he's been risen from the grave and he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And so in Acts chapter one, he is talking to his apostles right before he goes back to heaven. And he tells them this in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, now you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so basically what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, you are now going to be the church and you're going to be the witnesses of Jesus. You're gonna tell people and show people who Jesus is. And you're not doing it on your own. You're doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he's saying, you're gonna be witnesses locally where you live and all the way to the ends of the earth because we want to share Jesus with everyone we possibly can. And so this is what he leaves for the apostles. And so they start forming the early church and we've kind of walked through and seen some of the ways they they live as the church, some of the things that they do, um, how they interact with one another. And, And when the church forms and when the church comes together and you bring a group of people together like this, trying to live in community together, there's some messiness, right? There's some tension, there's some difficulties, there's some challenges. 
And that was certainly true of the early church as well. And so in Acts 15, one of the biggest challenges we have is that when we've seen from Acts 10 through Acts 14, that this new group of people were coming into the church. So what we have is we have two groups. We have the Jewish Christians and we have the Gentile Christians, and they're now coming all together. And we're trying to figure out how do they live in, in relationship together? How do they live as the church? And what are the crucial things that really they all need to believe and they all need to follow in order to be the church? And so what's happening is you have the, the, the Jewish Christians who, who really, for our context, well, they, they had the Old Testament, right? And so they'd always been God's people. They'd always been, I don't know why I did the quotes. They've always been God's people. Um, they, they have always been, been trying to live according to God's law. They had the scripture and they were trying to live according to the way God wanted. And, and so for our context, you can think of the people who have grown up in church, right? The people who who are familiar with the customs and the habits, the ones who know when to stand, they know when to sit down, they know when to say amen, they know when to say thanks be to God, right? They know how to give, they know certain things that are expected of Christians. And then you have the Gentile Christians. And these were people who did not grow up pursuing Yahweh, pursuing the one true God. They had all these different beliefs and different religious practices, different gods, different things that they were worshiping and following. And so now they have heard about Jesus and they've been welcomed into the family. And so you have these two very different groups coming together and trying to figure out how do we do church together? And so in Acts 15, you get this council of people that meets together to discuss this very topic. What is salvation and how do we live as the church uh, together in communion with one another? And so it says this in verse one of Acts chapter 15. It says, certain people came down, from, uh, came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And so the basic idea of what is happening here is that the Jewish Christians are standing up and they're saying, hey, the Gentile Christians aren't real Christians because they haven't become Jewish first. And so they're saying, you got to go back and, and you got to learn how to be obedient to the law. And the law had the moral law, things like don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie, honor your father and mother. But it also had the ceremonial law, which had things to do with like hand washing and circumcision and different things like that, that showed that you are part of the body. And so Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law perfectly. And he fulfilled the moral law as well, though many of the moral law things we, we still are going to practice and, and follow as well. But for these people, the, the Jewish Christians were coming and there, were, there was a group of them that were saying, wait, 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 these Gentile Christians, they have to go back and, and they have to do all these things. It would be like in our context, right? Someone who, who's grown up at Christ Community Church and has been here for many years, they're gonna go back and they're gonna be like, wait, 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 you gotta go back to, you gotta go back to summer blast. Like you gotta go through middle school summer camp and high school camp. And uh, you know, you gotta go and do all these things. Like you gotta go to like our small groups and our Bible studies and go through all these things. Cause that's what I did. That was my experience. And so you have to do all these things before you can become a Christian. And so then there's a, a group of believers that are gonna stand up and they're gonna say, wait, wait, that's not what God requires. He's got a different plan. And so we'll pick up the conversation in verse six. It says, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. 
And so Peter stands up, and if you remember from Acts chapter 10, there's a moment where Peter really gets to speak to the first Gentile convert. And Peter met with this man named Cornelius, who was part of the the Roman army, an enemy of, uh, of the Jewish people. And yet God showed him grace and welcomed him into the family. And when Peter preached the gospel to Cornelius, he believed and he received that gift. And God made a a visible sign that Cornelius and his family were able to speak in tongues, just like the apostles did in Acts chapter 2 when they first received the Holy Spirit. And God did this to demonstrate to us, to demonstrate to the early church that, yes, they are welcomed in just as you were. They have the same Holy Spirit that you have. And God welcomed them in in that moment, knowing that they had not become Jewish first, but that they were still able to become Christians. And so Peter is standing up and he's saying, hey, if if God had really wanted them to go back, he would have come and said, hey, they're almost Christians, but they need to go back and do some of the law things first, and then they'll get the Holy Spirit. But God received them as they were and was leading them into faith and relationship with him. And so Peter's saying, hey, if God accepted them, we should as well. And then Peter wants to make another point. And so he starts in verse 10 by talking about the law. It says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to, to, to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And so Peter's pointing saying, hey, we are not saved because of the law. We are saved because of the grace of Jesus Christ. It is because of Jesus that we have salvation. It's not because of how obedient we are. It's not because of how many times we've been to church. It's not because of how much money we've given. It's not because of how many good deeds we have done. It is because of Jesus. And Peter actually points back to the law and he says, hey, we've tried this. You've tried this. Our ancestors have tried this. And every time we've tried to live by the law and find our salvation in the law, we have always failed. See, the law is always meant to to be held up as a mirror that reflects our imperfections. It's always meant to demonstrate to us that we are not good enough. And in showing us who we are, it shows that we need something or someone outside of ourselves. The the law is like Simba's first roar where you you look and you say, well, this is not going to work. I need someone to come and save me because this is not gonna happen on my own. And throughout the Old Testament, it points us to how God was going to send the Savior, his son, Jesus, into this world. And so Peter is pointing back and he's saying, why are we trying to get them to live according to the law? We know that's not possible. We know they won't be able to bear this. We know this doesn't lead to salvation. It just leads to demonstrating a need for a Savior. Well, they already know they need a Savior and they already have their Savior. So why are we trying to put this extra burden on them? And after Peter, Paul and Barnabas stand up and then James will follow and it tells us this. So the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So this points back to like Acts 13 and 14 we talked about last week, their missionary journey of seeing these Gentiles give their life to Christ and the things God was doing in the the Gentiles. He said, when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. 
After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And so James does something really important here. He points back to the word of God. Peter and and Barnabas and Paul, they're all talking about their experience and they're giving testimony to the ways that God has demonstrated his acceptance, his welcoming of the Gentile Christians. And James says, hey, that experience is really important and it's really valuable and it demonstrates what God already told us was gonna happen from the beginning. And so he points back to the word of God because I, I wanna make sure we're clear on this, that experience and personal testimony are a great thing. It can be a great witness. But if our experience, if our feeling, if our testimony does not line up with the word of God, then it's not from God. And so we always wanna point back to the word. We always wanna be people of the word to make sure that what we think we're experiencing and what we think our testimony is really is from God. And, and in this case, Peter, or uh, sorry, James is pointing back to the prophet Amos in the book of Amos and he's saying, hey, this is what it said in the prophecy that God had given us long ago. And we talked a few weeks ago about how really uh, all throughout the Old Testament, there are signs that the Gentiles were to be welcomed into the family of God. The prophecies in Isaiah and Zechariah, the, the covenants God made with Adam and with Noah and with Abraham, they all point to a greater inclusion of the Gentile believers, of the Gentile people coming to know who Christ is, coming to salvation and coming to be a part of the family of God. And so James is pointing back to scripture and he's saying, hey, their testimonies affirm this and scripture affirms this. And therefore we need to welcome them and we need to point them to the simple gospel, not to try and burden them with the law that we tried to follow and failed over and over and over again. He's saying, I want you to remember that it's about Jesus. And so these are his concluding statements in verse 19. He says, is my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. This is an interesting section because it's kind of confusing. Here's James and Peter and, and Paul and Barnabas and they're talking to the council and they're talking to the people and they're saying, hey, it's all about Jesus. It's all about faith. It's all about his grace. It's, it's not about the obedience to the law. The law, it, we, can't, we can't handle that. It's, it's not about those things. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And they all kind of come to this conclusion. James says, yes, it is about Jesus. So here's some, some rules that we're gonna give them. You're like, wait a second. Didn't you just say we don't want to burden them with these things? But here's what's happening. We're going to come to this. It, it, he's answering the second question. Okay, the salvation issue is all about Christ. But there's a second question, which is how do we live as the church in communion with one another? He's saying, how do Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians take their, their past experiences, take their history, take everything that they've had in the past, and, and how do they reconcile that and bring that together so that they can have communion with one another? And so we're gonna to come to that, but, but ultimately this is what James is trying to preach. He's trying to remind us of what the gospel is. And so I wanna give a few things for us today. Number one is this, is that the gospel is all about Jesus. The gospel means the good news and is all about Jesus. 
Again, I'm going back to what I said earlier. It's not about what we do. It's about what has been done for us. It is God's grace that was demonstrated to us by sending his son Jesus to live the life we couldn't live, to be a sacrifice that we desperately needed so that we could have life through him. And because of Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins and we are no longer headed down a path that leads to destruction, but we are headed on a path that leads to life. See, Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6, it tells us that the wages of sin is death and it says, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It tells us that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus, Lord, and believe in our hearts, God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so we just need to turn our eyes to Jesus and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. And trust and celebrate and rejoice with gratitude that he has paid that price for us. It is all about Jesus. And sometimes in church, as we're talking about the important things about how we build that relationship with God and how we live in response to the grace of Christ, we get these things confused. And we start thinking these are the things we have to do to earn God's salvation, but they're what we do because of our salvation. And so we need to make sure that we keep centering our hearts, our lives, our church, our attitudes, everything on Jesus. The second thing is this, is that because Jesus saves, he doesn't just save us from something, but he also saves us to something. And so I want us to understand that Jesus unites us with God. He unites us with God by reconciling our relationship with God. In our own natural state, we have sinned, which is just disobedience to God. And because of that, we do not deserve anything good from him, but we deserve his wrath and his judgment. But Jesus pays the price so that we can enter back into relationship with God and experience the goodness of God. And although we are servants to the Most High King, it goes deeper than that. It's more intimate than that. The Bible tells us that God adopts us into his family. When we put our trust in Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. So we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High King. Let that sink in for a moment. Because as Christ unites us with God, he changes our identity. We're no longer defined by our sin and our brokenness, but we are known as children of God. We are a new creation. We are God's masterpiece. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are Christians. This is our new identity. And so we don't define ourselves by the things of this world that come and go where highs and lows exist, but we define ourselves as followers of Christ, knowing our value through him because of him. And so the third thing that this does, or that I want to say that James is telling us, is that Jesus unites us with one another as well. As we move towards God, we're also moving closer towards one another. And so God has given us the church. He's given us this family as a gift to us. And yes, it's going to be messy. We are imperfect people trying to serve a perfect God and to represent him. And so there's going to be challenges with that. There was challenges in the early church. There's certainly going to be challenges today. As you go out to the barbecue, someone might take the hamburger that you really wanted. (laughs) But can we learn to love one another? And so I'll go back to what James said at the wrap-up of his statement. He said, hey, salvation is all about Christ. 
It is God's grace alone that saves us. It is faith alone. That's the only part that we really even play. It is faith in Christ. He's saying, that's it. That's what saves. He's saying, but because you've been brought into the family of God, we have a responsibility and obligation and really a privilege to lay down our lives for one another as well. In Philippians, it would say, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so James asked the Gentile Christians to lay down some freedoms. Now, sexual immorality, that makes sense, right? But the rest of it, like eating these certain types of food, eating red meat, wait, I'm not supposed to eat red meat? That's gonna be a problem for me. But he's saying, here's what's happening. These four things that he lists are all very closely connected to idol worship. And so when the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians are are sitting and tabling together, they're having a meal together, the Jewish Christians are gonna look at some of their their eating habits and one, they're gonna say, whoa, those people believe in, like they're worshiping idols. For the Gentiles, it's not connected to that at all. They had no idea that this was something that was supposed to be just for idols, that that this was connected to that. And so they, they're going to have some tension there that they're going to have to get over. But the other thing is, if, they, if the Jewish Christians are trying to eat with the Gentile Christians, it might stir something up in them, their heart that might lead them astray. Because of how closely these things are connected to idol worship, as much as they might try and just say, hey, we want to have freedom in this and we want to just accept this and be okay with this, it might lead them in the wrong direction. And so for James, he's saying, hey, as brothers and sisters in Christ... I know that this is a freedom and and you absolutely have the right to do it. But are you willing and able to lay that down, to love your brother, to love your sister, to point them to Christ, to encourage them and strengthen them? And so I just wanna be clear here, not talking about self-abuse or not having boundaries ever, right? You are allowed to say no to people. It doesn't mean that everyone who asks you for help, you have to say yes because, well, I'm a Christian, so I can never say no to anyone. I don't believe that, but, but when Christ says that the, the most important commandment is to love God and then to love your neighbor as yourself, what we're doing is we're not demeaning ourselves or lowering ourselves, but we're bringing everyone up, up into equal standing. And we're saying we have equal value with one another. And so your comfort in your relationship with God is equally as important as, as my comfort and my privileges and my freedom and my relationship with God. And so I don't wanna do anything to hurt your relationship with God. And so I'm gonna try and find ways to lift you up, even if that means not doing something that I like to do. I can lay down that freedom to support and to love and encourage you. And so this is really what they're asking these Gentile Christians to do is saying, hey, can you love your brothers and your sisters and, and be the church and be the family that God wants us to be? Now, this is not an easy ask. This is a difficult thing to do, which is why we constantly need to, be reminding ourselves of what the gospel message is really all about. Because as we draw closer to Christ, we'll be able to see the world through his eyes. And when we realize that it's not up to us, we will allow the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to work through us to do the things that were impossible for us to do on our own. And so I wanna remind you really what the main message is here in Acts 15, but I'm gonna read from Ephesians chapter two. The Apostle Paul, who was there at this council, he says this in Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse one. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live 
When you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by, na- by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I love this passage because in these first three verses, Paul paints a very dark and scary picture. He says, this is who you were before Christ. You were living in darkness, you were living in sin, and you were headed down a path that leads to destruction. He says, but God in his great love demonstrated his grace and mercy by sending Jesus to be a sacrifice for you so that you could have life so that you could be made new, so that you could enter into relationship with God, have a new relationship with one another, and live out of your purpose in the plan that God has for you. You can be a light and a witness through the power of the Holy Spirit when you receive the gift of Jesus Christ into your life. And I love this section where he just says, but because of his great love for us, not because of how smart you are, not because of how good looking you are, not because of how obedient you are, not because of how many times you go to church, how much money you give, how kind you are to people, not because of how many mission trips you go on, not because of how many bad things you don't do, but because of God's great love. God who is rich in mercy makes us alive with Christ. Even when we are dead in our transgressions, God loved us enough to save us. While we were still sinners in rebellion against God, Christ died for us. We're the ones shouting crucify him and putting the nails in his hands. And he says, yes, I'm doing this because I love you. We are Christians because of what Christ has done for us. And we simply need to receive that. And this is what it's all about. The fact that God so loved the world, that he so loved each and every one of us, that he gave his one and only son to be a sacrifice for us. So whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Not a life of misery and hardship and pain, but a life to the full, a life in glory in heaven with God the Father, a place where God will wipe away every tear and will make everything new. That's what we have to look forward to. Not because of who we are, what we have done, but because of who Christ is and what he has done for us. And so we acknowledge that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We acknowledge that we are deserving of wrath, but we celebrate what God has done in his love for us. And we ask him to come into our hearts and to lead us and to guide us, to make us a new creation and to lead us the way that he wants us to go. And everything we do is in response to the gift that he has given to us. Not to earn his love, not because we think we'll deserve it, but because of what he gave to us when we didn't deserve anything from him.
And so in just a moment, we're gonna pray a prayer and there are a, a, a few different types of people in here and I think this prayer will help all of us in, in this room. And so the first is that there are those in here who um, have put their trust in Jesus Christ and are living out of the grace of God and knowing that we have freedom in Christ and that's all about Jesus. Praise God if that's you here or, or you watching online, that's you today. Uh, we are so grateful that God has reminded you of that truth and we wanna keep reminding ourselves over and over of that truth because we can also find ourselves drifting towards one of two sides. There are some who walked in the room who are watching online, who, who, who come in here and, and maybe you've been to church hundreds of times or maybe this is your first time in church and you're thinking that's fine but, but this gospel message is not for me. I'm not good enough. I can't receive Christ. There's no way that, that he could forgive me for what I have done. There, there, there's no way that I can receive salvation because I just have too much sin. I have too much brokenness, Ryan. You don't know who I am. Well, God does and he says that his grace is sufficient. As a matter of fact, the person who wrote Ephesians that we just read, the Apostle Paul, um, before he met Christ, he was murdering Christians. And Jesus met him and said, I have a plan for you. And so if God can rescue someone like Paul, if God can rescue those of us in this room who have been saved, God can rescue you as well. And so then there are, are people on the other side who have received the gift of Christ and, and over time we've gotten distracted. We've gotten distracted by the things that we do. We've gotten distracted by obedience and we start trying to, thinking that we have earned something, thinking that we deserve something because how good we are at following the laws of God. And so we start building ourselves up and saying, hey, look at how great I am. I'm at church 15 minutes early every week. I always stay late. I help t clean up and tear down. I serve in nine different ministries. I'm in 22 different small groups. Like I've memorized the entire Bible. I'm an amazing Christian. And this can become a very easy thing for us to do, to look at all of our obedience and, and, and say, look at how great I am. And so we need to come to a humble place and say, wait, wait, it's not about what I have done. It's about what Christ has done for me. I'm not the one who's great. Christ is great. Because what happens is if we start to get in that mode of, of looking at how great we are because of all our obedience, then we start looking around at others and we start pushing them down saying, you're not as good as me. You don't deserve to be in communion with me and relationship with me. You need to get way better at being a Christian before you can interact with me, the super Christian. And so for all of us, we need to just reorient our lives and our hearts to the gospel message and remind ourselves over and over and over and over and over again is all about Jesus. And so we're gonna pray a prayer and really this is a prayer of acceptance of, of Christ of saying, hey, God, I want you to come into my life. I know who I was or I know who I am and I know what I wanna become and I wanna become a child of yours and I wanna receive the gift of your grace knowing I don't deserve it, but knowing you have given it to me anyways. And, and so we're all gonna pray this prayer together because we all need to pray this over and over and over again. Um, there's nothing magic about these specific words. The Bible is clear that if you confess with your mouth Jesus to the Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him uh, from the dead, you will be saved. And, and so that's really what this is about, is having that moment of confession as maybe God is working in your heart right now, maybe for the very first time, and, and you're saying, yes, I do believe. I do believe that truth, and I wanna put my trust in Jesus Christ and receive that gift. And, and so if that's you, for the, and you're praying this prayer for the very first time, I would encourage you at the end of service, just go over to the prayer banner 
Um, and there's the, the, our prayer team that they would love to celebrate with you and just pray with you. Um, and if you are willing and able, uh, send me an email, ryan at cccnow.com. Just say, hey, I gave my life to Christ today. Um, I would just love to, to celebrate what God is doing in our church and um, what he's doing through the word and, and just to celebrate with you. So um, if, if that's you for the very first time, we just want to say congratulations. Welcome to the family. Um, but we're all going to pray this prayer together and reorient our hearts back to Christ, remembering this is why we're here. This is what we're all about, to proclaim Jesus and make his name great. So let's stand with me, and the prayer will be on the screen. I think it's also in your bulletin, but we will all pray this together. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me even when I've ignored you and gone my own way. I realize that I need you in my life, and I'm sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. As much as I know how, with your help through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, I want to follow you from now on. Please come into my life and make me a new person inside. I accept your gift of salvation. Help me to grow as a Christian, to become a fully committed follower of you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word, for your truth. We thank you for Jesus. God, we are here to glorify and praise you. God, for those who maybe made a decision to trust you and follow you for the very first time, we give you thanks. God, would you strengthen them? Would you encourage them? Would you protect them against the attacks of the enemy and help them to live a long life fully committed to you? God, for all of us who believe, would you continue to remind us of what we are all about, of who we are all about, of why we are here, that we are here to glorify and make your name great. God, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We love you and praise things in your son's name. Amen.